0: Well, Westmount, as you're grabbing your Bible, it is, of course, Father's Day, and you recognize on this Father's Day that this is the day that, as you've seen already, children honor their fathers. Children run to their fathers, do they not, for answers. Children run for answers. Children run into the laps of their fathers for stability. Is that not true? It is true, certainly maybe more so in years gone by, fathers represented the rock of stability in the home. Was that not true? The child may be spiraling from what they heard in the schoolyard, maybe wrestling with their own thoughts, but they knew that they could go to dad. They could go to dad. Well, you know, as we think about Christ as our example, Jesus went to his father often, often in his ministry, which is amazing, the Son of God going to God the Father often on earth. In John 17, 17, Jesus says a prayer to God the Father. He turns to the Father. He says a prayer for his own, for his disciples, his followers. And he says this of his disciples, not just keep them, guard them, but he then says this. And picture this, in this tumultuous time, right, when you have John 13 through 17, this is the upper room discourse where Jesus is giving them hard truths. In this tumultuous time, this is what Jesus says by way of guarding. He says this prayer, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's what Jesus says, that's the guard. Beloved, with so much chaos, confusion, confusion, misunderstanding and misinformation today, I want us to settle around that truth as we begin this morning. Let us, too, be set apart in the truth. Let us grab hold of that truth as we turn to the beginning. You have God's Word in front of you. You have that instrument of sanctification in front of you. Turn to the very beginning. Turn to Genesis 1. Jesus, remember, pleading that we would be set apart in this truth, that we would be fully devoted to God because of this truth. That's what we endeavor to do today. Of course, many of you are familiar with the opening of the Bible. Genesis 1, the first few verses, give the account of the first five days up to this point of creating the heavens and the earth, with one day remaining of creation is where we will jump in. Five days... Five days of creating heavens and earth and all that's in it. God then turns on this sixth day to the pinnacle of his creation. Mark that. God has created a lot of beautiful things. But as he turns now on the sixth day, he reaches the summit. And this is a simply beautiful account. And it's also, Westmount, an account of truth. This is the origin of mankind. And today it confirms much for us. Church, this truth is important for us to understand in our current climate. In fact, it's vital. We're going to zero in specifically on verse 27, which we'll get to in a moment, and consider the truth packed into that. But I want us to look at the context around it. Let's look close at this passage, starting in verse 26. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So much there on this sixth day account, and again, we will zero in on verse 27. And we're going to examine that verse in three parts as you look at it. Three parts to obtain, to pull out, to mine the truth that it contains. So let's get to it and start with the first truth it contains, which is simply this that there is one creator. There is one creator. Look again at verse 27. So God created. As you arrive at verse 27, the truth that God is creator should not be a surprise. As you track with this account, you come to verse 27, and there's no surprise here. The chapter is framed with the reality of one creator. Chapter 1-1, remember, in the beginning, who is it? God created. Verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, all begin, and God said. Right down to, of course, verse 26. God is the architect. He's been creating. And in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man. Let us make man. The us there, by the way, referring to the triune God. This is your first reference to the Trinity in the Bible. God the Father, of course, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit on display right from the opening chapter of the Bible. Three persons, one God, the glorious mystery of the Trinity, one Creator, one Creator who has been creating Each of these, everything you see in Genesis 1, he has been creating in these opening days of creation, these early days. And so as we arrive at verse 27, we see creator God still creating. That is one triune, eternal, omnipotent God alone creating. And what is his creation on day six? What is it? Look. So God created man. You look at man there, that is Adam in the Hebrew, and that word here stands for mankind. It means mankind, humans. Later, by the way, that same word will become the name of the first unnamed man, very fittingly, Adam. In verse 27, we learn the truth, the straightforward truth, that God created us. God created man. And folks, I want you to pause and consider that. We are, you are, a created being. We are not evolved. We are not accidental. We are not random. Mankind did not spring up out of nothing. We are not Big Bang particles. We're not the products of amoeba upstream. Not at all. That nonsensical idea and all with it is just illogical when you simply consider this. Consider the order and symmetry of your body. That's no accident. That's just one example. There's so many more. But holding to that belief of a non-creator, of accident, of random, it flies in the face of what the one creator... Look in front of you. It flies in the face of what the one creator, the one who made you, actually tells you. We are created. We are all created by one creator. His power, his design, his definition, his authority. Now, that simple, self-evident truth needs to be repeated today. We need to repeat this because you are swimming in a sea of claims right now about humanity's origin and definition. You hear it all the time. So much of it just an attempt, and this is all that it is. Yes, I will use one brushstroke. All of it is just an attempt to come out from the plain truth that we were created by God. That's all that it is. One creator. We should also mention the other logical and obvious realities that flow out of this truth. Here's another one, one of which is this. The reality that there are not multiple origin stories or various creation accounts. Is that not obvious just looking at the text? There is one. We do not live in a cosmos with a Hindu corner and a Buddhist corner and a mystic realm and they all have their own little workshops creating and out people. That's not what it is. Of course, that's what many would want to believe today, that fairy tale. That's not what the creator says. All these little creators all sharing real estate. No. Listen to me. That kumbaya thinking works on bumper stickers. It does, right? That we can all just have our own origin story. But God says no. The one who made you says no. There is one creator. One alone who created all mankind. And market, it, who created all mankind one way. Here's another reality evident. And it is this. Look at the text. Look at this verse. It's authority. Do you see that? There's authority here. Look at the structure. This too is obvious, but in today's thinking it needs to be stated plainly. And here's the subtle one with authority. You won't hear it overtly, but is this not true? You hear this narrative, man created God. Man created God. You can have a God of your own understanding, a God of your own creation, your path, your way. However you design it, then it can be. That's precisely what you see the world doing today. Everybody is an expert on human origin. Everybody is an expert on what humans need. Everybody has a claim about what mankind, the human race, needs. Yet the absurdity of that is obvious. It's like, I want you to picture with me, you're at some expo, right? Great exposition of inventors. And there's the man, he creates a machine, and it's sitting right there. And there's the inventor right there. He's got the manual in his hand. This is how this machine works. And I want you to picture the scene, everyone walking up, ignoring the inventor who's trying to hand out the manual, and they all come up with their own slates. Oh, I'll tell you how that machine works. Oh, I have an idea. Oh, I look at that. That's how that works. Let me tell you. The absurdity of that scene is what's going on today. Everybody has a claim on where we came from, and no one's looking at the inventor. In fact, they're suppressing him with their own claim. That backwards picture is like a downstream scene from Romans 9, is it not? The potter and the clay. And what's Paul's point in Romans 9? The absurdity of the molded talking to the molder. What are you doing? Why did you make me like that? That's the Romans 9 picture. The clay, all kinds of questions for the potter. Today, in our backwards world, the clay is not just questioning, and here's the thing, today, the clay is not just questioning the potter. No, the clay is claiming potter's rights. That's what you have today. Everybody's a potter. The created claiming authority to to define the creator. And Westmount, listen to me, claims abound. Yet one creator means one authority. If you want to understand what is going on in the world today, I want you to start here where we are, because we have one authority, one creator who created all mankind. And it stands to reason if that fundamental truth of your origin, if that fundamental truth of your design, if all of that is just pushed aside, if it's denied, then it stands to reason we have a substantial problem, right? If we deny the one who made us. But that's just one. That's just one thing here. There is one creator, but that's not all that stands alone here. Look at verse 27 again. There is not just one creator. There is one race. You say, wow, I've heard that word so much lately. Race. I guarantee you, you've heard race this weekend. You maybe heard it this morning. You're going to hear it today. You're going to hear it this week race 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 everybody has something to say about race but listen to me church do you not want to hear what jesus christ has to say about race we all do what does god have to say about race what does he have to say well let's return to verse 27 what does god say it says god created man now note this church it does not say, it does not say, God created races. In fact, it says nothing of race at all. In fact, you won't find the word race in your Bible used the way that you've been used to hearing over the past few days. You can search all you want, it's just not there. Oh, for certain, I know what you're thinking, there are nations in the Bible, there are ethnicities, there's languages and so on, and we're going to come back to that, we should. But not race, not race. Not race. So you ask, where does the concept of race come from? Well, it comes from men like Darwin and Huxley, 19th century evolutionists that needed a crutch to prop up their own white supremacy. That's where it came from. And Survival of the Fittest did just that. Very convenient. Of course, byproducts, you you get down to Hitler himself. Propping up these false ideas, that rationalizing that there is a concept of race or a supreme race, that's where it came from. That thinking veiled in the vehicle of evolution. People say, why is evolution so insidious? That's why. Jerry told us on Wednesday night, reminding us that evolution and racism go hand in hand. If you hold to evolution, then you must hold to this concept of racism. The two are linked. But church, listen. Look at the text. From the beginning, it was not so. Genesis 1 says God created mankind, period. Not many different races. And by the way, Genesis 1 is not the only place that confirms that truth. I pray you were listening carefully as our brother Z read Acts 17 this morning. Let me read for you one verse again. Acts 17, verse 26. It said this, God made from one man... Every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Did you hear that? God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. You're not hearing that today. God did not make many different races, but many nations from one man. That is a crucial difference. You will search the Bible in vain for the concept of races. There is no plural to be found. None. No, there is not many races, but here, Genesis 1.27, we see only one race, and it's actually called the human race. That's it. God says, by the way, in verse 28, take a look at verse 28, to the first man that he's created, the first member of this race, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is multiplication of that man, of that race from the first couple. God didn't create a bunch of races and then just put them on the earth and tell them to multiply. He looked at one couple and from them said multiply. Turn to Genesis 9. If you continue the story in these opening pages of Genesis, you of course remember that we have original sin in chapter 3. You have the first sibling fight in chapter 4 and continue on to the flood and the wickedness of man that sets the table for the flood. Well, we pick it up now after the flood, the ark has landed, Noah's come, he's built an altar, and in chapter 9, verse 1, he's been saved, him and the eight in the ark, mark that, 8 him and his wife and his three sons and their wives, those eight are the only human beings, still one family, one race, and then chapter 9, verse 1, listen, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, look at this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's to one family. That command is to Noah's three sons. Those three sons, look at it, of the same family and of the same race. That would be Shem. That would be Ham. That would be Japheth. They are the ones that would fill the earth. God didn't just create more people and other looking people. He said to this one family in this one race, you go and fill the earth. Those are three sons. Those are not three races. And they're told again, look at verse 7, and you, look at it, he repeats it, be fruitful and multiply. And look at this, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And of course, they get to work doing just that, do they not? They fill the earth. In the years that follow, they multiply greatly. And by the time you arrive at Genesis 10, look at it, we have many, many, many other sons, other sons that become nations. Look at verse 10, chapter 1. These are the generations of who? All the different races God created? No. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And what follows there in chapter 10 is what is commonly referred to as what? The table of nations. But where does it come from? One family, three sons, From them a table of many people spread over the earth that verse 5 tells us, look at verse 5, chapter 10, from these, still looking at the three sons, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. Now as you look at chapter 10 this morning, time betrays us this morning to break down all the people groups here, but I have to tell you it's a fascinating study and many have done it. You'll see the three lines, right, out of Noah's sons and all the different people groups. It's fascinating where they would geographically have settled. However, this morning, the point is that from these three brothers, from this one family, from this one race, here it is, came all the nations of the earth. You see that? From this one family. This table in chapter 10 gives way to the famous account, and you know this one, the Tower of Babel. Look in chapter 11. This table of nations sets the table for chapter 11, proud men with blind ambition. This is what lies behind this table of nations. How did we get it? Well, it's as if Jesus or God pulls back and says, this is how this came to be. Proud men seeking to build a tower to the heavens. You talk about blind ambition, but they are dispersed through the earth each note it in chapter 11 with their own language and their own location and hence what do you get nations that is how nations came to be that is how different languages came to be dispersed from babel the lord dispersing market one human race throughout the earth and don't let go of that please don't let go of that because god's word doesn't let go of that That's what God says. This is one human race, dispersed into many different locations, developed into nations, distinct by their language, but one human race. Nothing from Genesis 10 and 11 change or conflict that at all. Now, I am very certain I know a question on many of your minds. Why do we look so different? That's a great question. That's a logical question. Why do we look so different? I want you to know that's an excellent question. Location and language differences make sense, but what of our skin color? You would say, I see this in the text. It all makes sense, but wow, we look different. Why? Well, that's primarily because of melanin. Melanin, a pigment of color in our skin, our hair, and eyes. Those much more scientifically minded could probably wax eloquent about melanin, but my little research this week I present before you, we all have melanin. But here it is, friends, we all have it, just to greater or lesser degrees, that's it, we all have it, just like we all have cartilage in our nose and in our ears, and can I say some to lesser or more degrees, right? (laughs) We've all got it. Height, even. I mean, we can go on. Inches. Some of us have inches. Some of our are blessed, like our brother, Officer Black, right? With many inches, some not so much. Here's the point. We all have things to greater or lesser degree in one human race. This is nothing new. Now, listen, there are lots of theories on melanin distribution in the human race. And again, I submit to you, if that's your thing, it's a great study if you're interested in genetics and ancestry. I mean, it's fascinating. But here is the point it is one pigment. Did you catch that? One. One pigment, like the artist's color that has one color and many different hues and shades. One pigment. In fact, geneticists tell us this. I was shocked to read this this week. Close to 99% of your DNA sequence matches virtually every other human being on the planet. We're not so different, are we? That's because we are one human race. One creator made us, and our creator placed into our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, a way for their descendants, the human race, to express different levels of melanin and other pigments. It's a simple as that. The Lord showed his beauty and creativity when he created genes and gene protocols that allow for variation in skin tone. It's beautiful, is it not? It's a beautiful thing. One race, many tones, many hues, many shades. That's your God. And by the way, if you're wondering, these variations don't need billions of years to happen. Don't buy into this. Again, for those interested, you you talk about Lucy and Maria Almer, the famous twins. One is black, one is white, but their parents are exactly the same. That's in one generation. The Machi Agboro, right? A black Nigerian family and a white baby. The only reason that that can happen is because we have one pigment in our skin. And again, there's so much more science behind it. I wouldn't even try to go further than that. But here's the key. One race, one creator. One creator God who created all of us is one race. One human race with a wide variety of ethnicities. One human race means we have ancestors. Mark this. You have ancestors in every single nation on this earth. You have ancestors all around the world. There are almost 200 different countries in the world. And you have family ties in all of them. And yes, like all families, though, to get more to the contemporary point, like all families, this global family has a real problem getting along, does it not? There's a lot of sibling rivalry going on today. Yes, we do have a systemic problem. I would agree. We have a systemic problem. I just disagree on what the systemic problem is. We have a systemic problem. You'll hear systemic a lot. And it goes back centuries. Our systemic problem goes back centuries. But listen to me. Our systemic problem is not ultimately racism. That's not our systemic problem. For our human race, the issue is not racism. Sure, that's a downstream manifestation of something much bigger. And it's not group-based at all. No, the issue is much more personal than that. We have a systemic sin problem. That's our problem. We're sinful. And we find all kinds of ways to work that out. It's a matter of sin. And listen to me, people have found many differences, many reasons to sin against each other. Melanin is just one. We have many different, you got a different car, you got a different job, you live in this neighborhood, you did this to me, didn't do this to me. Melanin just falls in line, right? It's just an expression of sin. That's all that it is. Church problems, when you think of it that way, are never dealt with properly until you diagnose the cause. So if you keep it at racism, whatever that may be defined by the world, if you just keep it at that, and then two people with different melanins are arguing with each other, if that's all you're trying to treat, it's like a doctor that's only trying to treat the symptoms, is it not? He's just literally dealing with the symptoms, and he hasn't even touched the root cause. And that is precisely, can I respectfully submit to you today, that is precisely why when you turn on your computer later, when you look at the news, you will hear this, a conversation on race, a forum on race, and on and on it goes, right? You've seen them all. Everyone wants to have a conversation about race. Now listen to me, well-intended, hear me, well-intended. I'm not questioning the sincerity of it, but well off the mark well off the mark. The problem is not the police. Actually, I want to repeat that one. The problem is not the police. The problem is not plantation owners. The problem is not how you were brought up. The problem is none of those determinist things at all. That is not the problem. The problem is God's word. Look in front of you. Go to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. The problem, what is it? You even probably have it as a subheading. Genesis 3, it is the fall. It is rebellion. It is sin. The problem as it carries into Genesis 4 will show when brother kills brother. It is not melanin that causes those two brothers, right, to have what they have for Cain to slay Abel. The reason is, and God calls it out in Genesis 4, does he not, is what? Is it melanin crouching at your door? It is sin crouching at your door. Different shades of skin, again, just give a whole other reason to hate each other. Just like stuff. Just like locations. Just like circumstance. Beloved, with the unending stream of conversations and proposed solutions, God's word is clear And God's word is simple. We are one race, and mark this with one problem. That's what God says. Okay, we've seen here one creator that created one race, and finally, one image. Go back to Genesis 1, verse 27. One image. One image. Verse 27 continues. Let's finish it. So God created man in his own image. The Hebrew term there for image signifies copy. Do you see image there? That word means copy. And further, it carries this idea of representation. In the ancient world, the king or ruler would put an image of himself in the various parts of his domain. And what did it represent? That he had dominion there. But the image was a likeness of what? Of him. Of him. To signify his sovereignty. In the same way, in the same way, God has marked out the world with image bearers. Picture that. He's marked it out with image bearers. And just as those image bearers are placed images and not the ruler themselves, in the same way, so too, so too for us as human beings created in the image of God. And here it is. It would not just be for a particular people group, a nation, or ethnicity. No, no, no. You see nothing of that here. Genesis 1, look at it, does not say just the white people or just the Jewish people or maybe the black people or it could be these people. It doesn't say anything like that. It doesn't say a particular group is created in the image of God. What we need to see loud and clear is that all people, the entire human race, is created in the image of God. That's one race. Look at 20, verse 27. This gives you it without any exception. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's both male and female. That's of all kinds. Not a mention of skin color. That would be your ultimate universal statement of inclusion, by the way. That means there's none left out. That is men and women without limit of every age and every stage in the womb, or out of the womb. That means all of us, Westmount, every nation, every ethnicity, every tongue and every tribe. All of us, one human race, made in one image. And what is it? The image of God. Every human being made in the image of God. This Father's Day, this marvelous truth means that every single one of us I pray this is your reflection this Father's Day. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, and no matter where you are from, no matter how you speak or no matter what you look like, no matter what you did or what you didn't do, you, along with every single human being on the face of the earth, from Eden to Peterborough today, all of us in between, no matter your shade of melanin, the entire human race bears the divine imprint of God the Father. Everybody. And church, if that's true, and it most gloriously is, that truth has implications for what's going on today, does it not? If that's true, you see there is something much bigger going on than riots in the streets. There is something much bigger going on, something transcendent that speaks into culture today. The human race as image bearer means a few things. Let's look at them. Number one. Every life, every life has worth, value, and dignity from the moment of conception to the grave. Every life is sacred. If we are made in the image of God, and we just saw we are, then it means life is sacred always, all the time, for everyone. This is why God says in Genesis 6, 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. What's the point of that in Genesis 6? It's to say there is a high cost for slaying another image bearer. You see that? This is not something you take right. It wasn't just a moment of anger. I did this. There's a high cost if you take another life. And here's the reason in Genesis 6.6. It's not even this lesser form of justice. It's the cosmic form of justice to say, you shed blood of an image bearer of God. It's Genesis 6.6. 6. But it doesn't stop there. Dignity is not just limited to murder. We can do that with our tongues too. Remember Jesus taught us that? Being made in the image of God means your words to each other reflect that. Listen to James 3 verse 9. With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father. But with that same tongue, we can also what? curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We can curse people made in God's image, and many of us understand how that goes. We just curse people without thinking about it. It means we can get up this morning and say, Happy Father's Day to Dad. It means we can come here and sing praises to the Father with the same tongue, but somewhere along the line, because we're wicked, we curse fellow image bearers. So James 3 tells us. God's word says we're not to speak ill of anyone precisely because why because it's just we're not to speak ill of anyone right because we need no justice no peace why because what a certain life matters well yes we we have a better way to define these things we would say because all lives are made in the image of God that's why it matters and he has stated terms. We are all made in God's image. Listen to me, the vulnerable, the weak, the police, the black, the white. Two, being made in the image of God means we were made to live in relationship. Don't miss this one. You were made for relationship. The triune God is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is the foundational nature of God. This is who God is. He is triune. As such, made in his image means that we too, if we're made in his image, then we too are fundamentally relational. Is that not true? If we are made in God's image, it means at our core we are relational beings. Being made in God's image then means that isolation, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, isolation is not our default. As attractive as it may seem to the world today, for some, just to be by myself and left alone, it's actually not into the world. Reconciliation. There's a word you're hearing a lot. Reconciliation. The Bible describes it this way. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. That is an understatement, is it not? You don't have to get past your Bible to see sin reigning from Adam to Moses. And on and on and on it goes. Death reigned. And oh yes, de- death in this sense still reigns with many different isms. Sin has many manifestations, that product, right? That root of death, sin, has many manifestations. We know them as lying, we know it as fear, we know it as excessive force, we know it as arson, we know it as hoarding, we know it as bullying. But in the end, with all those manifestations of the one problem, in the end it's all the same, all of that boiled down to the one problem, sin And until we recognize that, folks, listen, until we recognize the root cause, like you want your doctor to get at the root of your problem, until you get to the root of our problem as a human race, nothing is going to change. Nothing. I was listening to an interview or reading an interview, an 84-year-old black man, a baseball player, and he's been through all the, the hard times of civil rights, and the first question the interviewer asked him is, Bob, what's changed with these? And you know what he said? Nothing. And and, you know, and an onlooker would say, wow, have we not progressed? I mean, have we not come to a point? And isn't it funny? And in one sense, we have, right? From Jackie Robinson to now. And here Bob Gibson says, nothing's changed. Absolutely nothing. Nothing has changed. It's all the same. And mark that. We can have all the roundtables, all the inquiries, all the discussions, ad nauseum that we like. None of it is going to change a thing, and that is precisely why people keep saying that. Have you ever wondered why your co says, like, it's all the same thing? Nothing's changing. Well, now you have an open door to tell them why. Here's why. The only remedy is to turn to the one perfect image of God, the God-man keep reading verse 15 but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the grace of god and the free gift by the grace of that one man jesus christ abounded for many and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin we would say praise god it's not like the division of the first adam Westmount, we are one race with one problem, but in Christ we have the one solution, the one Savior. Only he, mark it, only he, Jesus Christ, is our true racial reconciliation. Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's the consequence of the reconciliation of Christ? Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What we don't need, what we don't need is a corporate apology. What we do need is personal repentance. That's what we need, to get on our knees and beg God for forgiveness for what we have done. Whether it's things or melanin. We don't need corporate anything. We need personal repentance. I love what Ben said right here last week. Either Christ will die for your sins or you will. Either Christ will die for your sins or you will. And beloved, to you that know Christ, as we move to the table now, you will proclaim that from the bottom of your heart. Christ died for your sins. But I wonder if there's someone looking who that is not true for Maybe you're just familiar with Christ. Maybe because of the pandemic, you stumbled upon us on live stream. Maybe you're just curious today about Jesus. Maybe you're just looking for an answer of world events. I want to turn to you now squarely and say this. You are not okay. You are not okay. Not because of COVID-19. Not because a riot could come to the Kawarthas. No, you are not okay, period, if you're not right with Jesus. And you're not okay because our race, the one race, is dying. And you face eternal death. You face separation from God in hell forever. And to that friend, the world offers you no hope. No hope. A vaccine, maybe you're waiting for that. You want the economy to reopen, maybe you're waiting for that. Maybe you're thinking of joining a protest you're waiting for reform, justice, whatever it is, listen to me. If it comes, and there's no promises even of that, it will not make everything okay. Because the problem's not around you, it's within you. The problem is in your heart. And only the one perfect image, whose image you're made in, only that one perfect image can save you. And that is the only racial reconciliation that we need, to be reconciled to the one perfect of our human race. He may write with God through him to our Father, our one Father. Listen, right relationship with God is right relationship with everyone else. It doesn't mean we don't have our moments and stumble. But you've got to get the root right before you try and live it out horizontally.